we're jumping into this series called Rethinking Church. And let me, let me just make sure that we're on the same page. I don't want you to rethink about coming to church. All right, that's, that, that's not the kind of rethinking I'm trying to get you to do. I'm trying to maybe to get you to understand uh, a different way of thinking about church. Um, but but, but uh, I, listen, I have seen a lot of church in my life. I was trying to do some quick math. And um, so we, we attended church um, occasionally as I was growing up. And then into my early teen years, we started going um, regularly. And then that became, you know, three times a week, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and uh, then Thursday night visitation. And, and uh, so I would estimate that over my lifetime, um, I've probably attended 5,000 church services maybe. That's amazing since I'm only 25 years old. I packed it all in into such a small period of time. I'm really spiritual, uh, and I'm lying, but on both accounts. But I've seen a lot of ways to do church as well. So um, when I was much younger, we went to more of what's called a high church. So I'm not sure if you're familiar with the difference between high and low church. We're low church, just to let you know. <laughs> Let's put our expectations way down here. Um, but high church is a lot more formal, a little bit more liturgy. And I remember sitting in those hard wooden pews as a, as a nine or 10-year-old boy just struggling. Uh, one of my favorite stories, a friend of mine was a, a preacher, and his little boy was on the front row, and he was in one of those situations where he was just bored to death, heard his dad all his life preaching, and he's got a little matchbox car. And he's taking a little matchbox car up and down the pew in front of him, going, and his dad stops and goes, boy, quit that. And my little good boy goes, I, I empathize with him. Like I remember, I remember just sitting in those pews thinking, oh my word, I don't even think God would be doing what I'm doing right now. This is horrible. And I, but, but here's the thing, like your mama might not have been like this, but my mama, she was like, boy, if you don't settle yourself down, I'm gonna stand you right up in front of God and everybody and wear your little bottom right out. And here's the thing, like I really believe, she would do it. Like, there was no doubt in my mind that that was actually going to be a memory of mine if I didn't behave. Um, but that was my beginnings with church. Then I went to a, a small country church for a while and then larger churches. And, and so here I am today, a, a pastor of a church that looks very different from how I grew up. Um, I was blessed to be able to visit Africa. Uh, years ago, and, and joined them in a worship service that looked very different from where we are right here and how we do church. There was lots of singing, lots of dancing, lots of testifying, and then recently went to China to visit one of our missionaries there, and uh, they have a house church, very simple, uh, keyboard, guitar, sitting on couches and chairs, and they are worshiping together, using their TV as their multimedia. And it was a beautiful moment. It was, and, 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 the, and the house church is exploding in China to the point where like they can't meet in apartments anymore. They have to buy whole floors of apartment complexes and knock the walls out. 
and be able to accommodate everybody. And now, of course, you may know that, that uh, uh, the latest Secretary of the Communist Party there is, is clamping down and confiscating all of those properties now, and they're, and they're being driven more underground. But I've seen so many different types of church. And so when you see all of that and you experience all of that, you start to say, like, wow, like, like, how do we know we got it right? How, how, how is it that what we do here at Virginia Hills and the type of services that we have and how we, quote, unquote, do church is the way it's supposed to be done? If you look in Scripture, the book of Acts, you might want to, that was like a little hint to start turning there. Acts chapter 2, if you have a Bible, that's where we're going to jump out of here. But the book of Acts tells the story of the church. And so you have this incredible gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I want to make sure we understand each other. When I say gospel of Jesus Christ, at its very core is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But the gospel, the good news, is God's whole redemptive plan. Like, he's, he, yes, he sent his son to save you and to save your soul. But God's purpose is to redeem your life and so that your life would reflect his will and that, that every part of your life would look like a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. That's the good news. That's the redemptive plan of God. And so when I say good news, that's what I mean. It's like this whole redemption of your life, a very, a very holistic approach, everything about your life. And at its very core is what Jesus Christ has done for us. In Acts chapter two, you have 120 people gathered together in a room. And after one sermon by Peter, you have 3,000 people coming to Christ and being baptized. And they begin to meet together and they begin to gather together everywhere they could in homes and hallways where they worshiped and encouraged each other. And those 120 people have grown to a professed number of 2.1 billion Christians on this earth today. And within one generation of the resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ, you have the gospel in Europe and in Asia and in Africa. The book of Acts follows the church taking the gospel, this good news to the world. And so let's see how they did church. And let's kind of create a framework here. So Acts chapter 2, verses 46 and 47 says this, and they, that's these believers, this this church, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. So once you see what's happening here, it becomes apparent that 3,000 people aren't meeting in somebody's house. They would break up and do that, but there's no way to accommodate that kind of crowd. And so they began to meet, literally it says here, daily in the temple. 
Here's a, a picture that we took uh, when we were in Israel uh, last year. This is um, in Capernaum. This is a second century synagogue that looks similar to probably what they were meeting in. This is what it might have looked like. You notice the, the benches around the side. They would kind of sit on three sides facing the one person doing the speaking. And it was strictly for instructional purposes. And then what happened? So like the book of Acts closes with Paul under house arrest, welcoming all those who came to him and instructing them in the ways of the Lord. And then it ends. So then what happens? What happens to the church? What, what, how did we get from there to how we are today? Over the next several centuries, the next couple hundred years, the church began to grow, but it was persecuted heavily. And they met secretly until the early 300s when Constantine, the emperor of Rome, becomes a believer. Well, let me state that. He, he professes Christianity and he makes it legal. And now you have Christians who are able to be more open about their faith and they begin to meet more publicly. And they actually began to meet in buildings like this. This is called the Pantheon in Rome. And the Pantheon in Rome was, the Pantheon literally means for all gods. So this is where they used to worship whatever gods. And they would actually begin to have church. Christians would meet here and have church in the Pantheon. But as they continue to grow and meet in bigger buildings and build bigger buildings, worship became more organized. And yet it was still very relational. The church was something that was shared with friends, but the church building became the focus of much church, much of the church activity. Public teaching became the main purpose of church buildings, and soon they became rather large and ornate. And we won't go into a huge history lesson here, although I would like it. But as you look out over the, the history of the church and you see these large buildings being built and, and all of the stained glass and the paintings, all of that was intentional to teach something to the attenders because they were mostly illiterate. In the Middle Ages, in the medieval period, they, they couldn't read and write. So, so we're going to create pictures in stained glass. We're going to paint on the ceilings. We're going to have carvings. We're going to do everything we can to teach them stories from the Bible. At best, there might have been one copy of the Word of God per church. And a mostly illiterate audience, we're not able to read that. And so you have these buildings that in and of themselves told a story. But the centralization of the church meant that individual average Christians had less and less influence on what was done in the church. Early 1500s, you had what is popularly known as the Protestant Reformation. You have an awakening about salvation by faith. You have a splintering of the largest known church at the time, the Catholic Church. And many churches became more localized, began to build less expensive buildings, 
And then as they jumped the pond and came to the United States, you had individuals that began churches that were so the opposite of what we saw in Europe. Simple structures. Strictly for the purpose of teaching the word of God. And the focus became not the building communicating a message, but the person using the word of God to communicate a message. What's, what, what's interesting, the first educational policy that was passed in America was to teach people how to read, and the textbook was the word of God. Because they felt, they were so passionate about people learning and reading the word of God that they actually passed a law stating, we have to teach everyone to read, and this is, this is the textbook right here. Then you have the Great Awakening that takes place in the United States. You may or may not have heard about that. It swept the country. Two preachers, Jonathan Edwards and George Whitfield, had crowds so large they had to meet in tents. So you see what's happening to just church architecture. is just It's just declining to now we're just meeting in tents. And that had this lasting effect. And pretty soon the, the, the building was, was so simple, but the main, the main attraction was that the teaching of God's word was taking place in that and now here we are in America today our version of christianity and we meet in everything from strip malls to movie theaters to stained glass buildings to steepled colonial chapels to big tan metal shoe boxes but whatever you've seen whatever your experience has been However you grew up, whatever has caused you to form your opinions about what church should feel like to you or how it should be done. Let's just admit that we assume that the way that we have done church is the way that church ought to be done. And the opinions that we have formed because of our experiences influence the opinion that we have of the way that people do church. But how do we know that the way that we do church is the right way? Like how, so I don't know what your background has been. Um, and that's okay. And you don't necessarily know what all my background has been, but we all come with this, I want to say baggage, but we all come with this the stuff that we haul around with us, that's like, this is what we think church ought to be. I mean, here we are 2,000 years later, meeting together as Virginia Hills Church in a humble building with a part-time staff and a bunch of wonderful people. And there they are in China doing church the way that they do, and there they are in Africa doing church the way that they do, and there they are in Europe doing the way that they do, it, and there they are on Main Street doing it the way they do it. And here's what I love. And that is that the good news of Jesus Christ is not culturally dependent or denominationally exclusive. So what, what, what does that mean? It means that God has not entrusted the message of redemption to only Americans. I know that seems to make sense, but what I'm saying is like... Not everybody has to do church the way that we Westerners do church. This is how we do it, but it's not the only way to do it. 
And not only that, no one denomination has the corner on the gospel. The good news is so much bigger than that. The gospel of the kingdom, message of Jesus Christ, doesn't have to be delivered in a cathedral or a metal building or by someone wearing a robe or a pair of blue jeans. It doesn't have to be accompanied by incense or average tasting coffee. All of those are just things that we do. But I'm afraid that we've convinced ourselves that unless church is done the way we are familiar with, it's not credible. It's easy to take a negative of high church and all the, 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 the liturgy that they have and the formality that goes along with that. But we can be just as guilty with our low church ideals of informality and modern worship. We can be just as guilty saying that they're not doing it right as they say that we aren't doing it right. And I know that under your breath you just said, yeah, but we are doing it right. I heard that. (laughs) It might be most beneficial if we would separate how we feel church needs to be done and that emotional connection that we have with the actual truth of the gospel of the kingdom of God. Can we at least agree that much of what we look for in a church has nothing to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Music style, how people are dressed, how comfortable are the chairs, what does the building look like? What programs do they have? All of that is it seems like if we, if we come to a church, we have this checklist of what, what it needs to have to accommodate our needs because we've gotten used to me church. That's all about what I feel like I need and church has become more about meeting my needs than me doing what I'm called to do as a believer. The truth is that churches at their best, like this is if they are really making it happen at their best, try to create a framework for God-focused worship, for meaningful relationships, and genuine spiritual growth. And I believe this, like if that is happening, like like we are having God-focused worship, and we are creating meaningful relationships, and genuine spiritual growth is happening, then that will grow the kingdom of God. Because if we are healthy spiritually and we are reaching out to those who need to hear the gospel, that the kingdom of God is going to grow. But I also believe this, at their worst, churches can use religion as a means of control and personal gain and political power. And unfortunately, I think that's how a lot of people view church right there. So churches have the potential to do a lot of good and they have the potential to be a horrible representation of our Heavenly Father. But here's the the encouragement. Jesus said, I will build my church. I will. It's not our job to build a church anyway because he said, I will build my church, Matthew 16, 18. And if we were to strip away everything, that we think we know about church and just look at what it is. You have to start with one word and this is the only word that the Bible uses for church and it's the Greek word 
Ecclesia. Ecclesia just simply means this. It's an assembly. It's a gathering of those who are called out. When I was in college, they made us memorize a paragraph definition of what church is. Because our definition had to fit what kind of church we were, right? <laughs> so we made the rules. So, so I went to a, a Baptist college, and I grew up Baptist, and so we had a Baptist definition of church that inserted a whole lot more stuff. It could have been a sentence, but because we were Baptist, it had to be a whole paragraph. Because we had to, we had to define the fact that this is what constitutes a church. And what that did was it meant that nobody else was playing by the same rules that we were, so it invalidated what they were doing for Jesus. And I'd love to have that conversation with you at some time. But here's the truth. When it's all boiled down to it, a church is an ecclesia. It's a called-out assembly of believers. And if it's just that simple... then maybe what we do at church doesn't have to look like what everybody else does at church. Virginia Hills has attracted a lot of people from a lot of different backgrounds. There are people in this room that have very little church experience. It makes my heart happy that you feel comfortable enough to attend here and figure this out and learn as you go. That is that is why we were created, was to, was to do this with you and bring you along and answer your questions. We also have people in here who actually were pastors. So we have both ends of the spectrum, people who are just trying to figure this out and need a place to ask questions, and people who have been doing this for a long time. We also have people in here that are recovering from church. Hello. Right? They are... They are having a hard time. There's people who attend here that had told me they will never go back to church again. Not because of what happened here, <laughs> but of what happened previously. And here they are. And God's healing their heart. And we have people in here who also want to go out and start a church. We have, we have people who are just happy to be here. They found a safe place. They feel connected. They feel loved, and I'm so glad that you were here. And we also have people that come here and just want to tell us how to change, which is fine because we need to improve. We need to change. But oftentimes, it's most beneficial to assess the situation and figure out what is going on and then make suggestions for improvement. But the reason that we do that is because we come into a situation and we're like, this is what church felt like to me. And I'm, listen, we all expect church to be a certain way. But where do those expectations come from? Where do our ideas about church originate? From our own personal experiences, from, from family traditions, and they may be very good, but can we just leave those at the door and strip away everything we want church to be to make us feel the way we want to feel and just take a fresh look. Can we rethink church? At its very core, this is what it is. Church is people. It's a gathering of believers. At its very core. Which means this. Church is relational. 
So let me just say this very kindly. If you come to church, but you never get to know anybody, you're not doing church right. Because church is relational. You, this is, it's like going to a family reunion and not talking to anybody. So, that might be good for some of you. I mean, I just, but we all have that crazy uncle. You just heard him. Right? It's like, it's like we all, like, like it's, it's serious. So like when you come to church, like when you come to a, a, a corporate service like that, when you come to a gathering like this, it's about, it's about people. And that's what, that's what church is. It's, it's our opportunity to get to know each other and begin relationships. Church is not something you just attend. It's people you get to know. We need these relationships. And not only is it, not only is it a gathering, uh, church is people, but, but it's also just a gift from God. It's an expression of his love for us. And I believe that there's something incredibly beautiful about this gift of the church that God has given to us. There's so many metaphors of church in scripture. Uh, it's, a, it's a body. It's a building. It's a bride. There's so many great metaphors of what a church is that try to, because it's such a complicated concept, but a very simple word. But we need this. We need this. And church is a beautiful expression of God's love for us. So let's take a look at Acts chapter 2 again, and we're going to wrap this up with this. I want to show you a couple things from here. And then I want to address how Virginia Hills Church does church. Because I want to make sure that we're on the same page as we, as we begin this, this series on Rethinking Church. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple. So they came together in a big meeting place and breaking bread from house to house. So they were in smaller groups. Did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God, I love this, and having favor with all the people. Maybe they weren't acting like jerks. They were having favor, praising God. I love that. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. So, so here's the, the three things. Look at it as three legs of a stool, right? I think you need all of these. First of all, there's corporate worship. Corporate worship is our ability to love God together. So, so when we get together like this, I love hearing you sing. I love hearing you laugh. I love take your time in the foyer, get to know each other. Drink a half a cup of coffee with somebody, maybe not out of the same cup. I'm just saying, like, like, just take some time to get to know people, build connections with folks. That's what I love about this time together. It's loving God together. We sing together because God's people have always been the singing people. We take communion, we, we, we speak from the word of God, we read the word of God, we encourage each other, we re receive instruction, we are edified and we think about him. I love corporate worship. But also community groups. Community groups is our opportunity to be house to house with each other. And we do these in seasons. So we're going to have a 13-week semester that begins at the end of this month. And then we'll have another 13-week semester at the beginning of next year. And then like an eight-week semester over the summer. And the idea is to get us into a smaller group to be able to do life with people. 
Small group gatherings <laughs> make it possible to one another, each other. There are so many one another's in scripture, right? Love one another, pray for one another, edify one another, right? All of those one another's happen when you get to know people and they happen a lot easier when it's a smaller group. It's our opportunity to love each other. So corporate worship is loving God together. Community groups is loving each other. So let me just be very practical with you for a moment. Um, I, I personally feel like I need to be at almost everything you need me to be. I just can't. If you're sick in the hospital, I would love to be able to go see you. I just can't always do that. If you want to have, if you want to have lunch, I'd love to make it happen. But there's only five of them during the week. Okay? And I can only drink so much coffee. All right? I have a, I have a permanent tan just because I take in so much caffeine. It's like I can't possibly take care of the 400 or so people that come here every Sunday. So the beauty of a small group, the beauty of a, of a community group is that you've got about a dozen people that can do life together more effectively. And let me, I'll promise you this, if somebody is sick in the hospital, that group's on it. Like every community group I've been a part of, we have visited people in the hospital, we have made meals for people, we have mowed lawns, we've painted with some varying degree of success. But we in, we've taken up offerings for people. We have served in our community as a, as a small group. But if you call the church's number, we'll do our best. But don't expect us to like look on Facebook and find out what your problems are. Because you're probably not showing up in my feed. You need to be in relationship with other people. The days of a, of, a, of a central location for all of your needs to be met is over. We Honestly, it's, like it's, not, it's not a matter of whether we want to or not. It's that it's not practical. And we don't love each other as well when there are all of us trying to do it at one time. But when we're in a smaller group, and we have 15 of them starting, in just a few weeks, I can't encourage you enough to get plugged into one of them. We'll have signups. It's going to be a big thing, I promise you. You won't miss out on it. It's not going to pass you by and you're like, oh, I meant to. It's going to happen. But you need to be in a community group because that's where we learn to love each other. That's where we serve each other. We get to know each other's needs and struggles. And I know, hey, psst, listen, there's going to be a weirdo in your group. I'm just telling you, like it... There's going to be somebody in your group that you're like, really? And so what happens, right? So yeah, <laughs> you're really uncomfortable about that. Come on, you know it's true. Like you're going to get into a group and you're going to be like, I'm not really sure this is the group for me. It's okay. It might be the perfect group for you. Or you just be like, hey, we get new signups in another 13 weeks. I can't get in another group. And that happens all the time. But if you keep on jumping, you're probably the weird one. That's, that's the truth. We ought to have a limit on that, right? We ought to have a limit of like, you know, once you've transferred groups three times, we'll put you in the special group. <laughs> With a, yeah. 
So we use these groups to love each other well. And then the third leg of the stool here, what we found is, is that we need to have intentional relationships um, where we get to love our world. So, so here's what this is. There's a, there's a Greek word called oikos, O-I-K-O-S. And I know you're thinking of Greek yogurt right now. It's spelled exactly the same, all right? So, you're like, so now that you have that image, um, there'll be free oikos for everybody as you, as you leave the door. Um, just kidding. The, the word oikos there is like intentional family. So it's those people that you, all of us have about eight to 15 people that if we were to write out a list of people who are closely connected to us that we do life with, that would be your oikos. But what I'm asking you is to be intentional about that. Like these are people that I feel that God has placed in my life to reach with the gospel, to reach with the good news, to reach with the redemptive plan of Jesus Christ. So I, this, this is my oikos. These are the intentional relationships that I'm gonna grow because I wanna reach them through mentoring. I wanna reach them through service. I wanna reach them with the gospel of Jesus Christ because that's what I've been called to do. That is loving your world. So I believe this. When you do this on purpose, if you as a church connect through corporate worship and community groups and through intentional relationships, you are putting yourself in environments where you are not just fulfilling the Great Commission, but you're growing in grace and you're becoming the person who God wants you to be. This is in addition to your own personal walk with the Lord. But this is what we as a church can do to help facilitate your growth as a believer. And this is pretty much all that we do. Because we can't do everything well, but we can do a few things really well. And that's our intention. And so as we go through the rest of this month, this is what we're setting up for. Because we feel like it's that important for your spiritual life to be connected in these three ways. Let's pray. Father, we love you, and we are so glad that we have found Jesus Christ, and we are so glad that we have found a place where we can get to know other Jesus followers. And I pray that we as a church, as Virginia Hills, will do an effective job, not just growing in our faith, but building relationships and reaching the world that you have given to us. I pray, Father, that you would be glorified in all that we do, and that church would become something that happens throughout the week, not just on Sunday. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.